My name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. I'm morning to you. Uh, who's pumped for house group sign-ups starting today? All right? All right, good, good, good. Uh, I'm super excited. I, I'm, I missed my house group over the summer. I'm excited to get uh, back in. They start in just uh, two weeks. Uh, uh, are you familiar with this word, abdicate? Uh, abdicate uh, means to renounce or relinquish the throne. Uh, in history, this is when uh, a king or queen uh, decides that they're not really the right person to govern their country anymore. Uh, maybe that happens to, due to their age or to their lack of leadership ability. And so what they do is they abdicate and they step off the throne and they let the next in line, maybe one more qualified than them, step on the throne and govern. Now, it actually hasn't happened all that many times in history. It happened in Japan a bunch of times. It's happened in England uh, a couple of times. It doesn't happen all that often because, well, humans, we have a hard time letting go of power, right, and, and control. In the Lord, uh, I would say in the last six months to a year or so, has really been laying this theme, this word on my heart, just how much we as a people struggle with this concept. And so I want to take three weeks and talk about this, this word and this concept. And this week, I want to start with the topic of how we need to abdicate to the authority of God's word. And so as Christians, what do we believe about God's word? What do we believe about the Bible? Christians believe that the Bible is inspired by God, that it is inerrant, just means without error, and that the Bible is the supreme authority for how we are to live our lives. Uh, this comes not only from the word itself, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's not just that, but we also believe that the Bible is the word of God because of what it's accomplished in history, because of how it's been proven by archaeology, because of the prophecies that have been fulfilled, and about a hundred other reasons. If you have questions on this, maybe you're wrestling with this topic right now, I encourage you to go on our app, maybe later today or this week, or our website, I'll go back to our Easter message, Eyewitness, where we talked about this. Or uh, even you can go back on our website to 2014. We did an entire series on doubt and evidence uh, called Reason to Believe. I'll write that down if this is something that you're maybe uh, struggling with and you want to know more about. See, because believing that the Bible is God's inspired and authoritative word for how we should live our lives, that's a cornerstone doctrine of Christianity. And yet, yet... I see more and more Christians who do not live under the authority of God's word. Really, the crown rests firmly on our own head when it comes to making decisions, particularly difficult ones. And listen, I'm, I, I, let me be clear. I'm not talking about people who just mess up in sin, right? That's all of us, okay? There's a big difference between the Christian who sins and says, kind of like Paul does in Romans 7, says, ah, I just keep doing what I hate doing. God forgive me. There's a big difference between that and the Christian who says, yeah, I know the Bible says that we're supposed to live that way, but I'm just not going to do that. I guess I just disagree. And see, I continue to see more and more of the latter, of that type of Christian as I look at modern-day believers. And I want to speak to that topic today. And as we do so, uh, we're going to just uh, unpackage the Word of God from the book of Jonah, actually, today. Uh, if you want to follow along, there's a Bible under every chair, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. Just tap on Bible and weekly verses. Uh, we're going to be on page 753 this morning. Uh, Jonah was a prophet 
of Israel uh, who lived about 800 years before Jesus. And we're going to start right at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. So this is page 753. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, you maybe understand just the general concept of the story, but there's probably some cities on there that, unless you're an ancient Near East scholar, you might not know where we're even talking about. So I figured, time for a map. Let's do this. Okay, Um, so Jonah is from Israel. Which is, this is an awesome laser pointer, thank you. Uh, I know that's what you're thinking. Uh, Which is right around here. He travels to the city of Joppa. He's supposed to go over here to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, uh, it's not there anymore, but the ruins of it are right next to uh, what is now Mosul, Iraq, interestingly enough. And so he gets on board a ship at Joppa, and instead of going to Nineveh, he starts sailing for Tarshish, which uh, almost every scholar believes is kind of in the south of Spain. In fact, the city of Tarshish was, to the Israelites at the time, the farthest city away from them that they were aware of. So in a sense, Jonah, is instead of going to Nineveh, he's running to the ends of the earth in his mind. He wants nothing to do with God's word, which has commanded him to speak to the Ninevites. And by the way, contextually, this is really important to understand. It's not like God was asking him to go and speak to Wisconsinites or something like that. Clearly those people need Jesus, right? We, we understand that, right? But there's really no comparison here. Because the people of Nineveh were known as the most evil people on the planet at the time. So they were conquering, these are the Assyrians, were conquering much of the known region. They would go into cities, they would conquer it, and they would skin people alive before they would kill them. Right? And so this this would be more like God asking you to go and preach to ISIS. Right? It's not like God asking you to go and preach to the citizens of Wisconsin Dells. It's not the same. So you've got to understand that when you're thinking about what God is asking Jonah to do. And so Jonah decides he's going to abdicate. He's not going to abdicate the throne. He's going to stay on the throne. He's not going to relinquish it. He's going to make decisions. He's going to keep wearing the crown and making decisions for his own life. And I believe you and I, we do the same thing every day. We know what God's word says, but we don't do it because it feels easier to disobey because a lot of times we think we know better. It would be like this. Uh, Can I borrow a Bible? Um, I want you to imagine that you, thank you, um, were sitting on the throne, right, of your life, and you were, let's say, crowned as king. Right? And so you, I mean, this is the irony of it. You're a Christ follower, but so often we crown ourselves as king. And we make our own decisions for how we ought to live. And yet, here's just the irony of it all. We're still trying to follow him. 
And so you're really making the decisions for your own life, and yet you, you're still opening up the word, right? And you, you start reading in here. And you think, oh, man. It says right here that I need to forgive my brother if he sins against me. Right? Maybe you think of your actual brother. Maybe you think of an old friend, a former friend that hurt you. And the word of God has authoritatively told you to forgive them. So we just say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. We just kind of keep the crown on our own heads. We, just, we don't abdicate. We live our own way. You rule. And yet we keep seeking him. And the next day we say, oh, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I hope it's easy. Tell me what to do. And you look at it again. Now it says something really difficult, right? And it starts talking about, uh, Jesus talks a lot. This is Jesus that everybody loves. Talks a lot about sexual immorality. All right, maybe you read something about, you know, sex is meant for marriage. And you, uh, you just look at that and you go, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to follow you. But that seems a little too difficult. Right? And maybe even a bit old-fashioned. And then rather than getting off, we just stay on the throne. So I'll just keep this right here. And we don't abdicate. And that's just the irony of who we are as Christ followers. We say, I want to follow you if, right? And we put a condition on it. It's so much easier, right, to disobey. It's so much more appealing. What would you rather do? Right, would you rather go to the south of Spain or go preach to ISIS? Right? It's always easier to keep the crown on your head. Jesus himself says this, Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Let me tell you something important. Just because something in your life appears to seem easier to you, maybe even providential to you, that doesn't mean that it's right. Okay, so think about Jonah's situation. He's in the city of Joppa, and he's dreaming in his rebellious heart. He's dreaming about maybe just running away to the south of Spain. And guess what he happens to find at port? A ship that's headed right there to that exact place. I just want to tell you something. Listen, our enemy, the evil one, is more than happy to provide us with a ship going to the same place that our sinful hearts have been dreaming of. I think sometimes people don't recognize that. I see that because sometimes when I'm talking with people about their faith, I'll hear them say things like, okay, I was miserable in my marriage. And while I was in despair, this other person came along. And sometimes they'll even spiritualize it. They'll say, it was like God sent this person to me. And they were just perfect for me. And sometimes I'll hear people say, and I know that God just wants me to be happy. No, actually, God wants you to obey his word. See, if your heart is inclined toward keeping the crown on your head, it will never be too difficult for you to find a ship that's heading towards Spain. But how easy something is can never override what God has already told you in his word. 
You know, sometimes we look at the word of God as Christians nowadays, and we say, yeah, I'm not going to do that because I think I know better than that. In chapter 4, Jonah tells us one of the reasons that he initially didn't go to Nineveh is because he was pretty sure that if he went, that God was going to try and forgive the Ninevites. And he didn't want that because he said they're evil. They don't deserve forgiveness. So he's not going to go. Why? Because he thinks he knows better than God what should be done. You see, this is our culture right now. Welcome to America in 2018. We think we have graduated from God. That we just know better than he does. When it comes to sex, when it comes to money, when it comes to how we treat other people. And see, this idea that we've graduated from God, that we just ethically know a bit better than his word, is going to drive our society into the ground. Because there's no such thing as improving on God's ways. You can't do it. And so know this. If you're not abdicating, You're not stepping off the throne. If you're not abdicating to the authority of God's word in your life, there will be consequences. That's the kind of stuff that's all over the Bible if you read it, but people do not talk like that anymore. But let's just keep reading, because it's right in the book of Jonah. So now go to verse 4. Here's what the word says. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Notice, this is not a random storm. God purposefully is sending this storm into Jonah's life. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. If you keep reading chapter 1, the sailors eventually figure out that it's Jonah's fault. And Jonah says, just throw me overboard. And the storm will stop. So then this happens. Let's jump now to verse 15. It says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, by the way, it does say that Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish, uh, not a whale, as sometimes people will often describe it as. You know, sometimes people will have a difficult time. That's a story that people will bring out of Scripture and say, I, just, uh, I can't believe the Bible because how is that impossible? Uh, one of the ways that I will often answer that for people is, say, is to say this. You know, if you believe, which I think most people do, that God created everything. In Genesis says that God created his creation by speaking words. Right, so if you believe that God could go create the planets this way, Saturn, right, and Neptune, Pluto, I'm sorry, did I just offend some of you? Pluto's not a planet, people. Oh, just get over yourself, right? <laughs> if God could do that, well, then it's not too hard for God to create a fish in which Jonah could survive for three days, right? Or biologically make a fish in a certain way that Jonah could do that. And so Jonah, he disobeys the word of God, right? And his life starts to descend downward. You know, one of the things that a lot of commentators usually point out about this passage is that when Jonah disobeys, the scripture tells us that his life keeps going down. This is a really cool part of, of the book. It says, 
he goes down to Joppa. It says he goes down below the ship, down to sleep, down into the sea, and down into the fish. And that's the word telling you something. It's telling you that the crown is heavy, and keeping it on your head is always going to bring you further downward. And it doesn't just bring Jonah down, but it affects everyone else with him on the ship, right? They're in the storm too. When I don't obey God's word, it doesn't just affect me. It affects my wife. It affects my kids. It affects my staff. It affects you. I don't just live on an island. And so because of Jonah's disobedience, because of his rebellion, God brings a storm into his life. See, I feel like a lot of people would curse God for that. They would say, okay, that, see, that's exactly why I'm running from you in the first place. Right? That's why I'm not living for you anymore, because I'm trying to live for you, and look, this is what I get. Here's the thing that I want you to understand about, about the Lord. Often God will discipline you with what I would call a storm of grace. So think about this way. If God doesn't send the storm, then what happens? Well, then Jonah just keeps running. Right? If God doesn't send the storm, well, then Jonah probably never turns back to the Lord. We know from other parts of the Old Testament that he becomes a great prophet. See, even being swallowed up by something in your life can actually be an act of God's grace, of his favor. Because it's only when Jonah's sitting in the belly of the great fish that he's finally able to abdicate to the authority of God's word and say, I'll go, I'll go. It's your word, I'll go. Right? This is from chapter two. Chapter two is, is his prayer, if you want to read it later. So in verse seven, he says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So know this. If you choose to not obey God's word, and you just keep, some of you are slowly walking, some of you are running, and you walk away from him, that he's probably going to send a storm into your life. Because he loves you, and he wants you back. He's crazy about you. He sent his own son to die for you. He loves you. Honestly, he's probably been trying to woo you back with his love. He's come back, I just love you, and I'm just showing you grace. But if you just keep running, well then, yeah, he's going to use the storm. That's a divine opportunity for you to come back. Maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like you're in that storm right now. I would just say to you, today is your chance to say, I'm coming home. I'm just, Lord, I'm just going to come home. I'm ready to take the crown off. I'm ready to abdicate, to become a person who lives under the authority of the word. Someone who believes that you can run my life better than I can. But if you're going to abdicate, you have to be willing then to follow God's word, even if it's hard even if you don't like it. You have to be willing to follow him even if it feels like you have to run uphill. See, the truth is, honestly, it's a downhill run towards sin and disobedience. It's easy. It's easy to do the wrong thing. 
here's a choice I think you probably face every day. Do you want to run downhill toward destruction or uphill toward his blessing? Because the blessing is in obedience. So chapter 3, Jonah's now abdicated to the authority of the word. Right? He's going to walk out God's command in obedience, and this happens. So this is starting in verse 3 of chapter 3. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And so we're told, even the king of Nineveh repents, and the whole city turns to the Lord. Right? And God has mercy on them, and he doesn't bring his wrath. So when you follow scripture, the blessing comes. And we do that even if it feels like an uphill climb. We need to be people of the word. Okay, so if you're reading the Bible and you see a command, right? It says something like, God's people are to be generous with their finances. You see that in 1 Timothy, you see that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You see a whole bunch of places in scripture. If you're a person of of the word, then we don't say, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that because it's easier, it's more convenient for me not to. Right? No, that's you living with the crown on your head. Of course it's easier to go to the south of Spain. But that doesn't mean that's where you're going to see God's blessing or God's movement in your life. But we, you can't say, like you literally can't say, I know God's calling me to be generous with my finances, but I cannot do that because of my current financial situation. David, look at my life. And let me tell you why you can't say that. Because God does not offer Jonah a free pass on obedience simply because it would have been difficult for him. And so he's not offering us one either. Maybe he knows it's because when we obey him in the difficult times that we actually will give him credit. See, too many Christians believe that God doesn't want them to do something if it's going to be hard for them. We just have to stop rationalizing disobedience. Most of the time, God is actually going to, if you want to obey God, most of the time he's going to ask you to run uphill. Not slide downhill. Right? If you do nothing, think of this, think of this even as like a, a line right here, right? If you're just in the middle and you're not running towards him, you just kind of do nothing, you're going to slide down. Right? This is why the old folks used to call it backsliding. Run uphill my friend, run. Because the blessing is at the top of the hill. This is why abdicating to the authority of God's word is such a powerful thing in your life. Right? There was no blessing for Jonah in Spain. He's not going to see God move there, but Jonah gets to see the miracles of Nineveh because he obeyed even when it meant running uphill. Now, a number of years ago, I saw an old friend of mine guy I hadn't seen in uh, quite some time. And for whatever reason, I don't know if I was having a bad day or what, I felt like as I conversed with him that day that I was like overly sarcastic. Uh, I was kind of even mean to him and just unkind. 
Right, you ever have a day like that? I know I'm supposed to be perfect, right? But sorry, I'm just a sinner with a microphone. And so I had this bad interaction with him. And I haven't seen him, I hadn't seen him since. And I thought about that conversation, I would say once a week probably for the last three years. You know what I'm talking about? We do this. And I would often think, oh, I just need to reach out to him. I need to ask to meet with him. I need to just say that, I, that I'm sorry. But that's running uphill, right? What's it easier to do? Well, it's easier to do nothing. And that's what we usually do. It's easier to just drift out to sea. It's easier to just slide down the hill. Well, finally, after about three years of wearing the crown on my own head on this situation, I was just reading in the Word, and I, just see, I know that God's Word says that I've sinned against someone. I need to confess my sins to them. I need to apologize to those that I've wronged. I need to trust God and run uphill even when I don't want to. And so I sent him an email. I said, let's, let's do lunch. And he said, yeah, sure. We sit down. I'm kind of nervous. And finally, I say, hey, you know, three years ago when I last saw you, I feel like I was just kind of a jerk when we were talking. And I'm, I've been thinking about it, you know, almost every week since. And I, I just got to say, I'm sorry. And he looks at me and he says, honestly, I don't even remember talking to you much that day. <laughs> and he's like, I have no recollection of anything mean you said to me, but I forgive you? Right here I was, like, thinking about it every week. And it's been great. Now I feel like because I'm not letting this thing come between us that was in my mind, I've been able to talk with him again. It's been awesome. Because the blessing is at the top of the hill. It's in walking out God's word. So like, when I stand up here, and I say rather strongly to you, if God's word says to you, do X, Y, and Z, then do X, Y, and Z. I say that to you, because he's God and you should obey him, right? But I also say that to you because it's good for you, right? Because the blessing is at the top of the hill. Now, if you read chapter four of Jonah, you're gonna see that Jonah kind of gets grumpy again about doing God's will, which means that this idea of abdicating is a lifelong deal. Too many of us, we have these moments where we hand over the crown and then a couple of weeks later, we kind of, we sneak back, right? And we, we put it right back on. One of the things that God, I feel, has really shown me in 2018 is that there is an unbelievable correlation between spiritual maturity and those who put themselves under the authority of the Word of God. I'm talking about people who say, if the Bible teaches that, then I'm going to do that, no matter what, because I trust God. Because why run downhill to destruction when I can run uphill to blessing? See, the people that we appoint to be leaders of this church, the people that we appoint to be elders of our house groups, they may not always even be the most dynamic person in the room. They may not have the highest IQ score. I'm sure some of them do, right? But they are absolutely people who live under the authority of the word of God. They've abdicated to his word. They do what it says. You cannot grow spiritually if you only obey God's word when it's convenient for you. You'll never become spiritually mature, ever. 
This reminds me of one of my all-time favorite D.L. Moody quotes. Maybe I've shared it with you before. There's so many. D.L. Moody was amazing. He said this once. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully consecrated to him, fully surrendered to him. See, I believe that quote for you. I believe that quote for our church. The world has yet to see what God can do with a church that is fully surrendered to him. Because too many churches, and at times even this one, are filled with people who only want to obey the word of God when it's convenient for them, when it feels like a downhill effort, when it feels like something they 100% could get behind. Look to the Old Testament, right? Do you think Abraham, do you think he fully understood what God was asking him when he said, Abraham, I want you to walk uphill, go to the top of the mountain, and sacrifice your son Isaac? When he was walking up that hill, do you think he was saying, all right, God, I'll do that because oh, that sounds like it makes the most sense to me, it sounds best for me, and that sounds like the easiest thing to do. No, he said, I'll do it because you're God. And he trusted in God's plan, right? And God had a plan, and Isaac was fine, and Abraham was blessed at the top of the hill. I'm just telling you, God will do something special with you and with this church when we fully surrender, when we abdicate to be people of the word. I believe God can use this church even in the next coming weeks. Right? One of Jesus' last commands on earth was to go and make disciples of all nations. You start with your hometown, kind of go outward. You've got an incredible opportunity to do that. Two weeks from now is our massive outreach of Family Fun Day. We're going to see six, 700 visitors come in here for the very first time just on one day. You've got an incredible opportunity to live under the authority of the word, to say, I just want to serve for you that day, God. There's so many people nervously trying church for the first time. I want to be out there serving, talking to people, welcoming them with the love of God. You've got an incredible opportunity to invite your neighbors, your family members, your coworkers on just a pretty easy invite day. So I want you to just come so they can hear about Jesus. And we're going to see hundreds of people come because so many of you are going to do that. But a lot of the rest of us are going to say, I'm not going to do that. Because it's just not convenient for me to serve that day. Right? I got some stuff going on. I'm kind of busy and I get kids and I got, I got everything. And I'm, not, I'm certainly not actually going to invite someone to come to church because you don't even understand how uncomfortable that would be for me. And I don't even know what I would say. And I. I but if we operate that, a renovation church, if we operate like that and we say, no, nah, I'm not really going to do that or I couldn't or I, I won't. And if we just live by the ethic of I won't do it unless it's easy and convenient for me, well, then a couple of years we're going to be just another lukewarm church with nothing to show for it. You don't see miracles when you just shift to neutral and slide downhill. But if we're people of the word that obey and we walk uphill, we trust that the blessing is in obedience, we trust that, yeah, God can, because he's God, could work a miracle in my friend's life, in my family member's life, well then, yeah, we're going to see, two weeks from now, you're going to see some people that you never thought possible in the middle of the service push back their chair, stand up with tears streaming down their face, and give their lives to Jesus Christ. If you obey, right, well, then we're going to have those Nineveh moments. We'll see, just like Nineveh, 
Right? Think about who they were. We will see if we run uphill, we will see people turning to the Lord that you never thought possible. But only, only if we do what is not easy. Only if we do what we don't want to do, but we do what he wants us to do. If we can live like that, if you can get off the throne, if you can give him control, then and only then you're going to see God do something special through Renovation Church. Then, then we're going to change the world. Let me pray. Lord, we just, uh, we pray that you would use us to change the world. And we know we can do that when we surrender to you, when we abdicate, Father. God, work through us. Use us. There's so many people in this city right now that need you in their lives. God, may we be the vessel in which you use to bring them to you. It's in your name we pray.